Alright, in Jonah, we have come to that part that we know so well. And uh, I, I posted last night that it's going to be Jonah chapter 2, and that there's something in here that I think can challenge most of us in our walk with the Lord. But, uh, but in order to get to Jonah chapter 2, we've got to finish chapter 1. And so there is one verse that I left uh, unread from last week, and that is verse 17. And in my Bible, it actually puts uh, verse 17 with uh, chapter 2 of Jonah. So that's why I've, I've done that. But in, in uh, Jonah 1 verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Boy, what does that sound like to you? Three days and three nights. Uh, I mentioned a verse in Matthew. In Matthew 12, uh, verse 40. Now, this is Jesus talking. And he says, For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, uh, the fact that Jesus gives reference to Jonah here, because there are some people, even some biblical scholars, who have suggested that Jonah uh, is, is a parable, or you know, it is a story made to prove a point. But uh, I'm not sure Jesus uses that as an example if it is merely a parable. Uh, that is one of those things. And I will uh, make mention of the fact that if, if you're using a different translation, certainly the King James Version uh, does say whale, uh, where other translations may say, uh, like mine, says fish, in this case, huge fish. Uh, but whether it was a whale or whether it was a fish, uh, the fact is... It was a, a creature of the sea. Uh, Holy Scripture indicates that it was very large and it was capable of swallowing Jonah. And to this point in the story, we keep seeing Jonah as descending. Jonah's going down. Uh, scripture tells us that he went down to Joppa. Uh, we've talked in past weeks about how he went down into the hull of the ship. And that was where is where he was sleeping when the storm is raging and the captain goes down below uh, to wake Jonah up and say, don't you care? And so he goes down to Joppa, he goes down into the ship, and now he's been thrown overboard uh, reluctantly by the pagan sailors. But he has been thrown overboard, and now he is going down into the sea. And so God, in his what, church? In his graciousness, sends the large fish to swallow Jonah. As it was week one, when I did the introduction to the book of Jonah, I made the comment that, you know, some people, uh, it's because of the big fish that they say, okay, this has got to be, this has got to be just a story that, that is making a point, that it really didn't happen. But the reality is, you know, we just gathered around this table and celebrated what? Someone coming back to life. And it's been pointed out, I think it, it's, uh, it's the, the Christian author N.T. Wright who has pointed out that, 
you know, no one, uh, no, no one ever would have would have thought up something so preposterous as somebody coming back to life. That uh, you know, when 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 people make up stories, when people come up with something to dupe other people, that that was that was over the edge. That was so outrageous that no one would possibly ever believe it. And so he is using that as a sort of reason to say, you know, uh, if, if, it, if, if it happened and there were eyewitnesses, you, you know that it is a, a, d- divine, uh, a divine event. Uh, because no one, no one is going to think that up. Because no one is going to buy into that. The idea that there was someone who was walking and preaching and teaching and ministering to people and that he would come back to life. But uh, it's been suggested in Timothy Keller's book, The Prodigal Prophet, about the book of Jonah. He says that, you know, Jesus' uh, resurrection on the third day uh, is far more of an unbelievable event, if you're going to think about what's believable or not believable, than there being a creature in the sea big enough to swallow a human being. And I, I agree with Keller. Uh, so uh, what we celebrate uh, every week is more posturous to, preposterous, I mean to say, uh, to the world than just a fish being large enough to swallow a human being. Uh, but then there's also the fact that he stayed alive for three days. People analyze it and say, well, the... Uh, the acid in the the belly of the fish would have, you know, started breaking down flesh and and dissolving this person. Well, not if God didn't want it to, right? Uh, You know, God is bigger than the acid in a fish's stomach. God is bigger than the things that we can reason. After all, it was God in the flesh who showed us that he had power over darkness and death. And so now we find ourselves in Jonah chapter 2, and Jonah prays this prayer. It says, from the inside, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. I'm going to stop there for a moment, church, because, you know, in Jonah, he's got some time on his hands to think. And I think that's exactly what God wanted him to have. You know, he's kind of put Jonah in time out, you might say. And he's given Jonah some time to think. And Jonah is, is praying this prayer. There's, there's a lot of uh, contemplation going on here. And so one thing that Jonah is probably thinking is, boy, you have banished me from your sight. I am where I am right now. You can't even see me. You know, Jonah, in a way, is saying, you know, that's how detestable I am to you, that you're not even, you don't even want to look at me right now. And so he says, yet I will again 
I will look again toward your holy temple. Verse 5, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. So when God was satisfied that Jonah had been there long enough, that Jonah was now prepared to do what God had called him to do, to go to Nineveh. Now he, uh, now he allows the fish uh, to spit Jonah up. So the, the fish in some ways could be seen as punishment of Jonah running from God. But ultimately, I see the fish as an example of God's grace. People often look at God of the Old Testament and God of the New Testament differently. And that the God of the Old Testament is angry and vengeful. And of course, it's not a different God. It's the same God. But because in the New Testament, it is in the person of Jesus that they see God's grace. That they see what we celebrated a short while ago. That they see... They see sacrificial love, what we talked about last week, the pattern of love, because true love involves at some point sacrifice. And so, uh, and so they, they, see the, they, they see the New Testament as being about love and grace and mercy. But the Old Testament is as well. The Hebrew Bible is filled with examples time and time again of God extending his grace and this is one of them where God says you know yes you could drown but I'm not going to allow that to happen because there's hope for you yet is what God is saying to Jonah there is hope for you yet and so Jonah is at the point now where he sort of hit rock bottom back in week one we looked at uh, the comparison uh, that there is between the, the parable of the two sons in Luke 15 and what's going on in the book of Jonah. And if you'll remember, it was that younger son in that parable from Luke's gospel who squanders his inheritance. And what does he do? He gets to that point where he goes down he descends in his own way. He hits rock bottom. Because first of all, he takes a, a job that no, uh, no self-respecting Jew would ever take. And then he gets to the point that what he is feeding the pigs is starting to look good to him because he is that hungry. 
Church, one of the things I'm thankful for in this season is that I've never been that hungry. But then furthermore, he realizes that if I were to go back to my father's house, not as a child of his, not as a member of his family, but merely as a servant in his household, I would have it so much better. And so all of those things are reminding him or showing us how low he has sunk, that he has absolutely hit rock bottom. And isn't it a shame that we often have to hit rock bottom before we come to our senses? But at the same time, maybe we can be grateful for hitting rock bottom. Because if that's what it takes for the better self to emerge then what a blessing that is. I was reading recently about uh, the British author J.K. Rowling. And uh, many of you have read uh, the, some of the Harry Potter books, or you're at least familiar with them. Uh, maybe you've had children or grandchildren who have read those books or seen those movies. And uh, I remember, I, I never read any of the books, but I remember the first time... I saw well, one of the movies. It was the first movie that came out some years ago. And, and I, you know, people were so excited. And I had seen on the news for years how people would line up. And uh, when the book was released, that people would line up and they would dress up in costumes. And, and there was all of this hype about these books. And I thought, what, what in the world is going on here that an author, a fiction author, can excite uh, or create such excitement uh, for all of these people uh, to, to, that are just clamoring for their next book to come out. And uh, so the night before Stacy and I went to see the movie, I said, okay, help me out. What's the plot that's going on here? And so Stacy fills me in, and, uh, and that was helpful. It prepared me for what we watched the next night. We went to the theater together. But I was absolutely astonished at the amount of creativity that goes into that story. And, uh, but if you understand her backstory, because she said in an interview that she was as poor as a British citizen could be without being homeless, that she was a single mom, and that while I think the kids were at school each day, that's when she would go to like a coffee shop and then she would work on her writing. She would write the story that would become Harry Potter. And, uh, and so she, she said, though, she said, you know, I'm grateful because if I had had a decent job, she said, that, that creativity never would have come out of me. So she's actually grateful for that period of her life where, she, as she describes, it was as poor as a person could be without being homeless, had a roof over her head, but just barely, had food on the table, but just barely. And so that it was, it was because of her circumstances that sort of forced the creativity. In other words, she would tell you, I, I basically hit rock bottom, and that's what uh, spurred on all the creativity. And so sometimes in our thankfulness, we need to be thankful for the times that we do gain perspective because that's what Jonah, at least temporarily, has gained here. He has gained 
uh, some very serious perspective. Verse 8, when Jonah says, uh, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And isn't that true? Because God describes himself in, in the Old Testament, in the books of Moses, as a jealous God. And uh, we think about jealousy, and we think, well, that's not exactly a trait uh, that, that should be heralded. That's not actually a trait that we might find appealing in our God, our Creator. But when you put that jealousy into perspective, because it is God who created us in His image, the images that we can come up with, the idols that people of Jonah's day could have created and could have worshipped, uh, the false gods that they could have created with human imagination. Uh, that, that, that God looks at that and says, wow, you're worshiping something that is absolutely worthless instead of worshiping the God who, in whose image you have been created. You're worshiping something that is created with human imagination where here I am, I am beyond your imagination. I am beyond uh, your thought process. And that's so true. I could never come up with a God who never had a beginning. That he's always existed. I've mentioned that before, but I always come back to that because that is just absolutely boggles my mind. The idea that, that God has no end, that we will have no end when we it, you gain our eternal reward. I can, I can understand that. Immortality I can, I can embrace and wrap my mind around, but, but the idea that, that God never had a beginning, that he always has existed. And so that's a reminder of that anything that a human being can create is going to pale in comparison to what God is and what God can do. And so uh, Jonah acknowledges that and when he's got this time to think about things. And he's thinking about those people that he's going to go and preach to. And that those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Um, Another way of saying that is those clinging to empty idols forfeit the grace that is theirs. I'm going to say that again. Those clinging to empty idols forfeit the grace that is theirs. And that brings me, as we start working toward a close in our time together this morning, what are we clinging to? What in our lives, in our Christian walk, what is it that we're clinging to. The verse that Daryl read from, uh, from Matthew said, you know, those who find their life will lose it, but those who lose their life for my sake, they will find it. And that's Jesus talking there. You know, those who, those who think they, they know what their life is about and their life is of their own doing, of their own purpose, well, they're in danger of losing their life. And he's talking about 
not only losing God's grace on this side of glory, but potentially losing your inheritance, your eternal reward. But he says, those who lose their life for my sake, then they will find it. And so Jesus is simply saying that those who know that that life in me is much greater, much bigger than any purpose that you can find for yourself, that life in me, if you're willing to lay down those things that you might cling to, then and and have life in me, then that is the person who is truly going to find life. Because of the benefits of being a child of God now, but then again, what is it, church? The eternal reward. And so we get to verse 10 and it says, And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Not a pleasant thing to talk about, but nonetheless, I think a lot of us know that feeling of when we don't feel well. And at some point, we get to the point that we throw up. And then how do we feel? We feel a sense of relief. We feel better because we were able to purge something. Something wasn't agreeing with us. Something, uh, something was making us sick. And then once we purged that, then we felt relief. We felt so much better. And so what is it in your life that needs to be purged? What is it that you need to get rid of? Back to the story of the two sons, the parable of the two sons. Remember, it was the the younger son who hits rock bottom and he comes back to the father. But it's that older son who thought he was doing everything right, that thought the father owed him something. Well, he had something he needed to purge. He needed to purge that unhealthy attitude. He needed to purge the idea of transactional love. That it was relationships are merely transactional. I'm going to do something for you because I expect something in return later. And we've talked before about church, about how unhealthy that is. And so uh, maybe you need to purge some kind of addiction Maybe you need to purge some kind of habit in your life. Maybe you need to purge a relationship. It may be somebody that when you're around them, you find yourself not behaving in a way that is godly, not behaving in a way, acting in a way that's true to your calling as a child of God. Uh, You know, it's certainly, when I was a youth minister, I would explain to teenagers that, you know, you've got people in your life that uh, that when you're around them, you're you're not behaving very well. But the reality is that doesn't end in our teenage years. I've seen people in adulthood, in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s, their 60s, who when they're around certain people, they do certain things, they behave in a certain way that they know runs counter to living a godly life. And so maybe it's a relationship in your life that you need to purge. You need to find some other people that are going to bless your life in Christ. 
And then in turn, that you can be someone who bears the good fruit that God is calling you to bear. But the question I leave you with then is what is it in your life that you might need to purge to have a walk with God that you truly need to be having? What is it in your life that is standing in the way of you receiving the fullness of God's grace? I pray that you will consider that, that you will identify that if there's something there, and that you will work toward getting rid of that in your life. I invite you to bow with me for 